0: Hello and welcome to the sixth episode of the Rocky Terrain Podcast. Today is January the 21st while we're recording and this episode will probably launch tomorrow. For this episode today, we're going to look at the Alien Worlds Netflix show and talk about the science involved. So if you're interested in that, stay tuned. Otherwise, um, I'm Thomas and with me as always is my good friend Dennis. Hello there. <laughs> I like that you know uh, you know found your thing, you know.
1: Yeah, I think so. Uh, I've always been an Obi Wan Obi Wan Kenobi guy, so yeah, maybe it'll it'll stick around. <laughs> 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 Another happy
0: landing. I think it will stay with fellow and will come till I find <laughs> something better. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, It's now three weeks since we um, uploaded our last episode. Dennis, do you want to tell us why?
1: Yeah, uh, actually, we planned to already record this episode last week, but I have, as I've already said uh, in the the end-of-the-year episode, uh, I've ordered a PC, uh, a brand-new tower, at long last uh, I decided to spend the money and get a good PC and it was scheduled to arrive by the 19th or the 20th of January and we decided to just delay this episode for a week because I am always doing the recording with my laptop and let's just say it doesn't really handle recording too well sometimes it's pretty tough for Thomas to uh, listen to my audio <laughs> um, for example there is an about I think 1.2 second delay at the time
0: currently yeah it's it's always a bit problematic that's why I always constantly talking right into you yeah, and yeah. The, most of the times I just cut smart but thats <laughs>
1: <That happens often. laughs> yeah, but but that was why we decided to just wait another week and just start, relaunch our two-week schedule uh, this week. But, yeah, unfortunately, the PC hasn't arrived yet, but we've decided to not wait yet another week and to just record today instead.
0: Yeah. Um, also... If you may have noticed or not, uh, our episodes were down and are now live again. Uh, we've encountered a problem, but we fixed it and we finally could re-upload it. Um, so, yeah, that also happened. Yeah. Otherwise, let's get to, I think, like the main part of... Our, not the main part but of our podcast, but our introduction part. Which we still have no name for. The... News section like in every other podcast <laughs> uh, you always just tend
1: to mark it as what's generic you...
0: news section
1: <laughs> random <laughs> things happening in our lives <laughs> that's also good the um, randomness
0: so <laughs> <laughs> tell us about your random things happening in your life
1: <laughs> yeah um right now i um once again, working at the collection of the Natural History Museum here in Munster, uh, I my contract ended back in October, and now I've signed a new one for about nine months, and it's a collection job. I'm busy sorting mammal bones, uh, mammal bones, ice-aged mammal bones. And honestly, I'm pretty happy to be out working again. We do have pretty strict restrictions in terms of uh, protecting ourselves. Uh, You know, everybody has to wear masks properly, of course, and we have to pay attention to spacing. Especially when we do our breaks, we have to really spread out all over the building but I'm just happy to be back at the job Uh, currently otherwise I have once again started reading papers which I stopped during the two weeks from Christmas to New Year's Eve, New Year's Day And already in 2021 some interesting things have been published. For example, one paper I read was about new evidence for cannibalism in Tyrannosaurid dinosaurs. And this is not something truly new in and of itself, but it's fascinating because evidence for cannibalism in these dinosaurs keeps coming up. time and time again, and tyrannosaurs aren't even the first Carvanivorous dinosaurs which have been reported to have been carnivorous, and how paleontologists can know this is by finding bones, in this case, Tyrannosaur bones which have tooth marks on them, and by then trying to match these tooth marks to uh, the teeth of other predatory dinosaurs and in this case it shows that likely another tyrannosaurid has been at work. Um, a paper has been published about a new pterosaur bone from the, and I don't even know how to pronounce this name, the Kaiparowitz formation from the late Cretaceous. Cretaceous. Of uh, Grand Staircase Escalante National Monument in Utah, in the USA. Um, I haven't really read too much of that paper as of yet because uh, I haven't really had time so far. And uh, it's about one isolated bone, but it's pretty interesting because pterosaur bones are pretty thin walled and. Every pterosaur bone found and described is a pretty is an occasion to celebrate a little bit <laughs> because these the bones of these animals are pretty rare. and uh, yeah, it's interesting because I, I just skipped through the paper a few moments ago and it seems that it stems from inland deposits. But I think the the author, hasn't assigned this bone to this particular pterosaur group, so yeah, but that's really pretty much everything new. Um, As I said, happy to be working again more regularly and still we have to see How this whole situation due to the coronavirus will develop over the next few weeks. Because in Germany we do currently once again have stricter restrictions. And it could be possible that we are not allowed to work in the near future. In the collection in the near future. We don't know yet. But new regulations could come out any day. So it's maybe... (laughs) we'll already have to stop working again and switch to home office or something like that. We'll see, but yeah, that's pretty much everything from my side, so what about you?
0: Looking, organizing fossils in home office? Uh, No, uh, there
1: is this lower Cretaceous dig site from Balwe, and uh, you know, we clean the rocks and we sieve out the rocks and the fossils from <clears throat> the finer clay sediment and once these are cleaned uh, still the fossils have to be separated from the rocks and <laughs> for example what one other student frequently has done over, over, over the past few months was he took some sediment home with him <laughs> and he just picked out the fossils at home so I don't know maybe we'll switch to something like that but <laughs>
0: we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Um for me it is interesting that I'm now more aware of new paleontology paper than planetary science papers.
1: <laughs> <laughs> As of <laughs> the second
0: <laughs> is currently a bit stressful for me because yeah, exams are now a thing again uh, in a very close future. There are also some talks we have to do for university. So, a lot of stuff for university is currently happening and that takes a lot of time. Mm. Otherwise, um, I have, uh, I think I've talked about it in the Christmas new- slash New Year's episode about the abstracts that I'm writing for the LPSC, so the Lunar and Planetary Science Conference, which will be online this year and not in Houston, which is very sad. I mean, it's good, but it is, you know, you yeah. understand it. yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and I've submitted two abstracts. Um, so one is about the things I've done for my bachelor thesis, so um, tectonics related. And then, which I submitted as talk, so you could submit one as a talk and the other one as a poster. Um, And then I've also submitted another abstract about the things that I've done in the, um, how do you call that? During my time at the DLR in Berlin. Your practical training internship, yeah. Yeah. Which is about the XMAS project. So the... European Space Agency's rover that will hopefully launch uh, 2022. Mm. Both interesting projects. And I guess I hope that I'm able to um, talk about these in the future. I mean, I would be able now because they're now published as an abstract, but I think at least for the uh, Mars abstract, I would want to wait till we get like uh, more data but yes, both some cool projects. I'm looking forward for the conference. The conference this time will be a bit different, so because it's online and you don't have live talks, but you have to make video make a video of your talk and then upload it. So this is going to be interesting. <laughs> I'm a bit afraid of that. I would I would prefer just talking live. Mm. Somehow fits more to my
1: talking style. You can be a, a bit perfectionistic at times, uh, so I can yeah. imagine, I can imagine you going over the video footage again and again until, after hours of work, you are finally satisfied.
0: Yeah, but probably recorded like ten times. Yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's going to be interesting. And then there's the poster. Um which also there was an update how the posters will work. Um so they will work differently now than I've told you before. There's like an online tool now where you can upload them into you, and then people can just comment on these and you can just answer the comments per text during the weeks where the posters online. No, okay. So, yeah, I think that's that's actually a good idea to do this. Um, but, however, yeah, I would have preferred the live talk. Anyway, um, is there anything more? Oh, yeah, I got the grade for my bachelor thesis, um, which is a very good grade. <laughs> I'm very happy about that. Congrats. And thanks. And with that, I finally have all the grades of my bachelor
1: so, um, I don't know, how is it currently? How will you guys receive your, what's it called?
0: Zeugnis. Oh, the... That's a good question. Um, I can and tell from... you in about a sec.
1: Is it your final report?
0: Yeah. Testimony?
1: Certificate. Your bachelor cer- certificate? Certificate, yeah. Um, I don't know. By the way, German word of the day.
0: (laughs) Um, We have to so you write them an email and then they will send you. I don't know if it's the certificate or like just the official paper where like all of the grades are in. I don't know if there's a different way to do this currently. Yeah, and I will just. I don't think so. Like normally isn't there like an, not a show, but an event in the summer where we get like the very official, you know, like the things that you can put on your wall. stuff like Yeah. That?
1: Yeah. Usually there is, but um, I, that's why I was asking because I don't really know how they're going about this at this, at this time.
0: Yeah. I, I don't think that they know that to you.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I yeah. can't really imagine that there is going to be any ceremony in the near future. So, yeah, I was just yeah. curious whether you knew more about that.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I will tell you <laughs> once I know. Yeah. Um. Yes, I'm already doing my master classes, and this is possible because there are some special regulations due to the COVID where i can well submit my certificate a bit later but still can be in my master's which is um, pretty good Hmm. okay i guess with that we've concluded our random guys talk about random stuff section we will find a name (laughs) once Or I would just change the name every day, uh, every time. Yeah, who knows? Okay, so we will now go into a break and then we will return with our main topic about the Alien Worlds TV show on Netflix.
1: So, because we are always so much on time and always up to date with current events, we have decided to, after about one month, a bit more than a month, (laughs) finally watch Alien Worlds and also add another review to the ones that have already been published online. So... Maybe to first explain what exactly Alien Worlds is, it is a documentary, a four-episode documentary, dealing with, well, Alien Worlds. So it is centered around the topic of astrobiology, how could life have developed on other planets, and how could it have evolved on planets with completely different natural circumstances than Earth. And basically the show splits itself between CGI parts where we can actively see the creatures they designed for this documentary and between sequences on Earth comparing or showing the viewer where they got their ideas from.
0: Yeah, that was... (laughs) A good introduction.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and what we are now going to do is we are first going to go through the contents of the episodes. So just to give everyone a little overview of what this episode is about and what is presented in general. So for that purpose, spoiler alert, of course, because we are going to talk about everything shown in this documentary yeah
0: exactly so with that do we want to go on the first episode
1: yeah uh, actually i thought maybe you could start you could introduce us to the planet because you are the yep. planetary science guy
0: yeah um very conveniently i don't have that much notes on the first planet but i will have on the later ones <laughs> um so The scenario is following. We have a rocky planet, but a larger planet with higher gravity than Earth. Which also, so this is like the first important scenario, higher gravity. The second important scenario do we have is that the atmosphere is much denser than Earth. So we have, I don't think that I said how much denser the atmosphere is. I would guess it's probably something in between Venus and Earth for what I've seen, but it could be more. Um, Yeah, so these are the two important scenarios, the two restrictions or the two rules that a planet gives. And this is first of all, high gravity and secondly, a very dense atmosphere. Yeah, um, and with that. (laughs) Let's talk about the aliens here.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so as Thomas has said, the basic premise here is that we have a denser atmosphere. The gravity on this planet is higher than on Earth, meaning everything is basically pulled towards the planet to a greater degree than on Earth. Everything would feel heavier and also the different molecules of the air or of the atmosphere of this planet called Atlas. Um, They are pulled stronger towards the surface so you have a thicker atmosphere. And this is where the first alien is introduced which is the Skygrazer, a big flying animal or animal-like creature. They say that it's a very large creature, but once again here we don't really, we aren't really told how big exactly. And uh, they have three or six wings, two big main wings and two smaller ones in front and behind to steer themselves through the air to maneuver. They feast on spores or what they call spores. Uh, I'll get into why I think that terms like animals and spores and fungi and plants are a bit difficult in this case, but they say that they yeah. feast feast on the spores of quote-unquote plants um, which form dense clouds in the atmosphere. Once again, going back to... Um, Things being pushed closer together, being pulled towards the ground and not being able to disperse as much as they would on Earth. You have these dense spore clouds and this dense atmosphere supports these big sky grazers uh, because they are essentially, you have a denser cushion of atmosphere below you which you can easier glide through. If you're a big creature, you then that's why they also
0: don't land. They're always in the air. They never rest.
1: Yeah, exactly. And then you have the predators, which are little creatures or smaller, way smaller than the sky grazers. Um, They possess, yeah, what I would call a proboscis, a Tube, a flexible tube, with with which they penetrate the skin of their victim. They have two grasping claw or two arms with grasping claws on them, and on their back they have an inflatable sac where, uh, they or close to which they house hydrogen p- producing bacteria. So at will they can inflate these sacs and float up into the atmosphere. And they then yeah. fall down on the sc- sky grazers, grasping on them and trying to force them to the ground. And then once they again- They look we... a bit
0: like small hot air balloons with arms. Yeah, yeah, essentially they and are- And that's what I call them in my <laughs> sketches. So <Yeah. laughs> most of the times I've I've written some weird stuff now, going through it again. And yeah. I kind of always gave them weird names because I never um, understand their real names. I kind of always missed it. It was like, what, what are they called again? And I, I had mean, to find like somewhere to describe them.
1: Yeah, some of them have actual names, but some of them yeah. don't, I think. <clears throat> um, yeah, but there is a third creature involved which are the scavengers, which are formless creatures living on the ground. Formless meaning they don't have anything anything really supporting their body inside them or outside them. They don't have something resembling a skeleton and they just engulf and devour, uh, devour everything they can find, basically. And in the end, this episode is centered around the topic of specialists versus generalists. So you have these very specialized creatures, the sky grazers, feasting on the spores in the atmosphere, having a very, very particular lifestyle. They're predators, which have very particular lifestyles. They are very dependent on their food source. Both of them. While these scavengers on the ground can, well, feast on anything they find. They can eat anything they find and they will survive times of stress with a higher, higher likelihood than the specialists will. Because the specialists have way more requirements to exist. Way more specific requirements. Yeah, and that's uh, mostly the first episode, or do you want to add anything?
0: I think we, what's also interesting is that we see the life cycle of these um, uh, sky...
1: Sky grazers.
0: Sky grazers, right. So yeah. we see how they uh, mate and also how they get their children, so whatever. And that's... Um, so first of all, they mate in the air, of course. And mm. then the females will land to lay down their eggs, but while doing this, they they die. So it's they kill themselves for um, well laying their eggs or were the eggs? I don't know. Were the yeah. eggs or like the yeah, eggs? Right? Yeah, yeah eggs.
1: <coughs> At least something yeah. like eggs. Then the babies hatch, and they immediately uh, wander off towards a cliff, the nearest cliff they can find, while they are being eaten or hunted by the scavengers, using the opportunity. Uh, And then they yeah, jump off the next possible cliff. They extend their wings and... To fly. Well, yeah, start their life in the air, basically, to never land again until... The female, at least the females, uh, have mated and are ready to lay eggs.
0: But I said that they need a bit time. You know, they they have to stay on Earth for I don't know how long, but a period of time before they can fly.
1: Um, yeah, I I don't know. I think I got that they would try to immediately go to the next cliff
0: have they explicitly stated but that hadn't you didn't you have the point that you could see like even their arms evolving into no 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 you, flight position
1: no you, you couldn't see their wings develop but you could see how while they were marching towards uh, the cliff the wings would slowly start to lower from a vertical position after hatching to a more horizontal position i don't know it's to me it it it, it reminded me of a moth or a butterfly after uh, going through metaphor metamorphosis like unknittering the wings i don't know that that was what yeah. i got from that but ah, interesting
0: yeah I did, I did understand it a bit differently yeah um, yeah and then the the episode ends with an impact but we don't really see anything we just see the, the meteorites yeah. striking the planet
1: yeah and this is where they make the point about specialists versus generalists that the scavengers yeah. would be the ones surviving while the specialized creatures are more likely to die out because they are more vulnerable basically
0: do we want to talk about the examples that they use to compare them to?
1: Um, so we... what the
0: show does, maybe for an explanation, is they show the animals on a planet for a short period of time, and then the show moves to Earth where they search for examples that um, are kind of similar here on our planet.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. These and are... The...
1: Hmm?
0: i think that's a part of the show that we are definitely going to talk about later Um, but do we want to go like into the detail of what comparisons they made here or do we want to get them like specific ones that we find were good or not so good in the end
1: Mm, i mean we could maybe mention them here but i would like to discuss them or how fitting they were in the second half of the review. Okay. So, um, yeah, for example, the Predators were compared to Falcons. Um, So, Falcons dive down onto their prey using their forward or better downward momentum to stun their prey or even uh, kill their prey as far as I know and um, this was compared to what these predators are doing they extended their Mm. gas sacks they rose into the atmosphere and then when a sky grazer was in a good position below them they extruded the gas and dove down onto the sky grazers Then, there was the other example of paragliding, so they tried to explain uh, why the sky grazers could be as large as they are, and once again, we don't know how big they are, because it's never really stated. Mm. Uh, (sighs) But how they could stay airborne in such a dense atmosphere with less effort, Uh, and then they showed a paraglider to explain how this works while showing images of the paraglider Uh, what other examples did we have we had
0: Um, so for the younglings the younglings of the um, skygracers were I have to grow it incompetent (laughs) They just said the youngs are really incompetent, which I found funny. <laughs> and then they showed the children of meerkats, so the baby meerkats, and that they have to learn things first, like, for example, how to react um, when encountering. Uh, wait, how are they called? Encountering a uh, scorpion. Uh,
1: scorpion <laughs> or- yeah, scorpion, or. which Which. Um- Uh, Then you had, when talking about the mating ritual of the sky grazers, you had different examples how sexual selection works on Earth with rhinoceros beetles where the males develop these big horns, big structures on their front parts. The stalk-eyed flies where the males have standoffs. The males have very extended eye stalks. Like ridiculously looking. Mm. <laughs> and they have these dance offs, standoffs, where they basically show off their eye stalks. And they do the same thing to females to impress the females. And this was compared to what the sky grazers have, because the sky grazers have these long tail structures, uh, which they show off to the females. And. Yeah, of course they mentioned the Chicxulub impact. So, the impact yeah. that which was at least partially responsible for the extin the extinction of non avian dinosaurs. Uh, because, as Thomas has already said at the end of the episode, we do see this. Oh. Yeah. I'm sorry, we, we do see this impact. Uh, my screensaver went up there. We do see this impact and yeah, that's where they explain generalists versus specialists.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Um, then let's move on to the second episode. Yep, we can do that. Which plays on the planet Janus. Um, so the interesting thing about that planet is that it's gravitationally locked. Well, no, let's start with that is, first of all, it's part of an um, system, solar system with a an, with an red star. Um, which is interesting already because we know of a lot of exoplanets that have similar sizes to Earth that are close or in a habitable zone to a red star, a red dwarf, I want to say. It's a star, but red dwarf. So that's interesting. It's a very plausible scenario and a scenario that is a lot of thought about in planetary sciences because they are in the habitable zones of these red dwarfs, but could life evolve there, which is not very easy. Um, and it's okay if I go into bit of detail here, it's, it wouldn't take long
1: oh yeah of course i would i just wanted to ask why exactly that <laughs> is so
0: <laughs> yeah so first of all the planet um the habitable zone of these stars is very close to their um but, well, like very close to them that's just mm. because they have they put out less energy than like um, than like our sun does and that's why that the habitable zones so the zones where fluid water is able to exist on a surface, is uh, much closer to the star. And this, first of all, leads to gravitational locking, which we also have in this scenario, and which is also going to be a big part of the show, of the episode. So gravitational locking means that we always just, the face, you know, the, the planet is always facing the sun, One side of the planet is always facing the sun. That's what I want to say. Like our moon, we always see the one side of our moon. Um, So that's interesting because one side will always get the energy of the star, which means it is pretty hot because it's also very close. And the other side is always in the dark. So it never gets sun. And it's very cold, therefore. So that's interesting, and this is also problematic for life. Why? I guess we see that also in the episode itself. Then the second thing that we have is radiation. We are very close to the sun and vi- to the star, and violet does emit less energy. It still emits a lot of dangerous, a uh, lot of dangerous radiations. So this is always also awesome a problem that is talked about when talking about capital zones near these stars. And then we have um, some more things, which they also kinda talk about. So we have tidal heating. Because a planet is so close to the star their strong tidal forces will actually lead to volcanism in our hydrothermal activity not only due to the interior so the hot interior of the planet itself but also due to the tidal forces like we for example see on moons at jupiter or saturn io for example io io for example um, which has an one of the most volcanic active objects in our solar system and not because of its interior heat but because of the tidal forces experiences and this is not really talked about but we see hydrothermal activity on a planet later in the episode and then a next problem which also makes life more difficult are stellar variations so these red dwarfs often fluctuate in their activity which led to different energy releases over time and you know when we know one thing about life, then it seems that at least kind of stable situations are are better for life, right? Yeah,
1: absolutely. I mean, regularity is... I wouldn't say it's a requirement per se, but of course, the more stable an environment is, uh, the less dis- distraction there is, the easier it is for life to flourish.
0: Especially like in the first first days of life, I think uh, then it can actually get very dangerous. Yeah,
1: I for, mean, who knows? Maybe a bit of chaos is even necessary for life to spring up. Yeah, but <laughs> that's that's a whole different episode or on its own, I think.
0: Yeah, so. Some examples, if you're interested, in then for planets or systems or red dwarfs and probably habitable planets. And this is for first of all the Trappist system, which you probably heard of. So the system with seven, eight, seven, eight, or nine—I'm not sure anymore—planets um, in its orbit, and there are two or three in the habitable zone. And then we have Kepler-186f and Kepler-1649c, which are the two most Earth-like exoplanets there are. And they're all orbiting a red dwarf, so it seems to be very common, and they're all in the habitable zone. So life there is possible with these restrictions. And how this plays out, well, we will see now in the episode.
1: Okay. So well, first of all, thanks for the info because it was this was pretty interesting. I mean, there are some things which are kind of intuitive, but are things you don't really think about at first because at first, yeah. I I was like, "Hey, okay, it's a red dwarf, so what? You're going to require your planet to be closer to the sun or or to the star?" But I re- didn't really think about the consequences this would have. So pretty interesting.
0: Yeah, I think too. I think it's actually a very good idea to have this in the episode. Yeah. Um, I think they've made an an interesting scenario here. Definitely. Yeah,
1: yeah. it was actually kind of my favorite scenario too. Uh, yeah, because and maybe I'll just transition into the creatures we encounter here. The creatures are also kind of interesting. Um, So at first in the episode they make the point that life can adapt to some very difficult habitats. Um, They bring this example up of bacteria in sulfuric hot springs in Ethiopia, which is an uh, it's kind of a difficult comparison, but I, we're going to talk about that in more detail later on. But then we switch over to the planet Janus and there you have these pentapods, meaning five-legged creatures which have kind of proboscises or a couple of tentacles, with some with feelers, some with a little claws on them to manipulate food items and they they say they're about cat sized. They are all hermaphroditic so they are male as well as female and they live all over this planet. They're the dominant life form and they are the dominant life form because they are capable of evolving all kinds of different forms. They do develop differently on the hot side, always facing the sun, than on the cold side, permanently laying in darkness. And there are also some in-between forms in the twilight zone in between, where you have a little bit of sunlight, but not too much. And by the way, I love the description of uh, the pentapods on the sun side, which is slender and skittish. (laughs) Yeah, but uh, that's the basic premise. So on the hot side they search shelter wherever they can find. They are pretty quick little creatures. They take every opportunity to find water, find food, pick up food. Um, While on the permanent night side of the planet, they are yeah, more stocky, more hairy they do hunt so-called ground grubs on there grubs are little creatures I don't really know how much they go into detail about their biology right now, but little creatures living near yeah, they they live near the ground and when they're threatened by the pentapods they warn uh, their companions, their uh, the other grubs by emitting light. So when they jump away, they emit li- they emit light, which they compare to uh, fireflies here on Earth, which do this mainly for sexual selection. But just to get this point across that creatures can emit light, I think. Uh, while yeah, then communicate exactly it. communicate yeah okay and no, of course I think fireflies <coughs> do that too don't really know too much about fireflies I um, mean a
0: sexual mating reason is also communicating right
1: yeah yeah in some shape, yeah yeah good point yeah but then again the pantapods on the cold side They use light signals on some of their proboscis, not proboscis I think, that's not really fitting here, their tentacles to lure them in, so they are basically going to hold their uh, tentacles out, very far out, they emit this light pulse and slowly guide their prey towards them, which was also kind of interesting kind of mimicry, which they... Uh-huh. Um, I'm just thinking about what was the comparison for that. I don't really think they had one. It was just... I, I mean, oh, no, no, they had the fireflies and this predatory firefly. Oh,
0: yeah, exactly.
1: Can... Yeah, yeah. Emitting, so there's a predatory type of firefly emitting signals mimicking the signals of other fireflies, but they are not there to mate with them, but to eat them. Exactly. and uh, there were some other comparisons there which I honestly wouldn't really go too much into because there were examples like... um,
0: Scorpions have venom.
1: Yeah. The pentapods have venom, and then they explained that venom has evolved multiple times on Earth by the example of scorpions. And there was this example of ants, ants developing different yeah. morphologies in a colony, trying to get this point across that although some creatures belong to the same genus or species, they can take a wide array of forms which uh, once again I would already by now I would like to talk about what I think about these comparisons but later
0: on actually it's interesting because I'm thinking that these examples that you now highlighted are the examples that you maybe have problems with and Mm. it's interesting wise these are two examples where I was like actually they're kind of good so I'm interested in in that discussion yeah. Um, Maybe to add to the panda pods. Um, so they have eyes in every direction. And because they have five legs, there is no front and back. And they can just walk in every direction. Yeah. Uh, which I have found interesting because we don't have this on Earth. We have symmetric, symmetrical animals here on Earth. Yeah,
1: exactly. But once again, they didn't really go into detail why yeah. they had this, yeah, pentamere. Actually, there are creatures with a pentamere pent pentametry so there are um echinoderms sea yeah, urchins correct. for instance stars. Or, yeah. yeah yeah they have a pentametry i think it's called sure. symmetry. we are bilateral animals we have two sides and these creatures, sea urchins, sea stars, they have five, okay. five planes of symmetry, basically. Uh, but I think they didn't really go into too much detail why exactly they chose to give them a pentamere symmetry.
0: No, they just said that mm. that's why they really, you yeah. know, very um, they can walk fast and stuff like that
1: i mean Um, this life doesn't have anything to do with life on earth so they definitely didn't want to make the point that it was something related to uh, echinoderms (laughs) yeah but i don't know i just think it's an interesting detail
0: so maybe one more thing i wanted to add because i'm wasn't sure you talked about it but i'm not sure if you go into detail of that um Uh, Where they made and laid the eggs. Yep, that's the
1: final thing I would now like to talk about because... uh, And once again, this is something I didn't really understand in detail. But they actually made... So they live all over this planet, as described. But they made only in the Twilight Zone. Where valleys formed
0: and uh they and c- the twilight zone is the sorry the twilight zone is the terminator which means the you know the line where day and night meet so yeah. kind of like twilight zone i think is a good word for that but the 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 word that you will find in literature is probably terminator
1: mm-hmm. yeah yeah this is where they meet where they mate Already said they are male and female as well, so they inseminate each other and then they release their larvae into the air and they disperse all over the planet. The one thing I didn't really get was what were these forms meeting there? Do they during their life at some point migrate to the terminator? Or and change while going to that place, or were these just in-between forms? I didn't really get that, to be honest.
0: Aren't there animals that, like fish, um, that will get back to their mating, um, mating places once yeah, yeah. in their life?
1: yeah but i'm just really asking because i didn't understand it here because they look different than both forms on hot and cold side oh, oh and interesting. I didn't realize yeah, that. and i thought it would be pretty weird if only the ones by chance landing in the zone around the terminator around the twilight zone would mate because then what's really the yeah, point maybe they of have like All these animals on the extreme side.
0: Yeah, maybe they have like they didn't explain it, but maybe they have like certain uh, um, specimen of these of these animals are only there for for mating. Like similar to ants where we have the queen.
1: Yeah, but then again, what's the purpose of these other creatures? I mean, not that that would be yeah, pretty yeah, deterministic to say what's the purpose of these other animals. They just live there, and maybe they're just never made, but I think that's not really a good strategy for a living form. Yeah, I I just yeah. wondered, because this was one of the things they never truly explained. True. Uh,
0: no, I didn't think about it, but yeah, you yeah, yeah, right. I
1: mean, I mean, I think the most logical thing would be they migrate to... Uh, towards these uh, deep ridges towards the twilight zone. Um, and they just change while doing so at some point in their lives in their life cycles. Yeah. Just an interesting thought, I think.
0: Yeah. Um, Definitely, yeah. yeah. Um, maybe one more thing, or mm-hmm. two things actually I wanted to add. So or do you have anything you want to say to the no, to this no.
1: topic, I would okay. uh swiftly move on to the next episode after your point.
0: Okay, so on the dark side, they said that they're using hydrothermal activity for energy, mm. um, which I thought was interesting and which kind of is like you know, maybe in hint to the tidal forces, even if they, they do mm. not address it. But it was like very large active um, hydrothermal activity so mm. it kind of look cool and then the second thing is in the end they talk about water and why oh. water is so important for life yeah. um, and they talk about maybe these hydrothermal vents you know similar to earth are possible scenario where life has formed in the first place
1: oh yeah that so was that was in reference to the hydrothermal activity there, I think,
0: wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And then they just told the the Goldilocks story, which I found nice. So Goldilocks is the the Goldilocks zone is the capital zone and it comes from an um, I think an story from Iceland. So a very old story and about a person called Goldilocks. And I just found, I actually found it nice that they're talking about it. But yeah, that's, that that wraps, uh, wraps up the episode. Uh, but
1: I just, I don't really want to trigger you into a 20 minute monologue once again, but <laughs> they didn't really talk about uh, this whole Red Dwarf scenario you laid out before, yeah. how the Goldilocks zone would be different on such a star. And this, I think, was was a waste. It was a pity.
0: Yeah, exactly. They, they just, they basically just use that the star, uh, that the planet is gravitationally um, locked, and that's yeah. it. Yeah. That, like all the other implication that the scenarios would have. Um, they don't talk about that, which I also think is a bit sad. Yeah. yeah.
1: All right. Next episode.
0: Eden. Indeed. So, Eden is a planet, which I think is um, very similar in size to Earth, I would guess. They don't talk about it, but it seems like very similar. Um, The special thing about this planet, and I don't go into that much detail about the planet, but a scenario is following that we have a binary star system. So we have two stars. And this is um, very common. So it actually kind of seems like that Maybe stars or systems with two stars are maybe even at some scale, at least in the early days of the system, more common than solar systems with one star. And these systems are also, so planets can orbit two stars at the same time. They are different you know there are different um, scenarios how this would look like but it's definitely is possible so for how it looks here and they actually didn't go into much detail which i also think was kind of sad but so one star is in the center then the other star probably orbits this one star and then this planet orbits both of the stars so the planet still has a night and a day side it's not like there are stars and two sides of the planet or somehow like that something like that so yeah this is the this is the scenario
1: yeah an overabundance of energy
0: yeah a lot of solar energy yeah
1: yeah and this is yeah, basically, actually, we discussed about this before the episode because we weren't really sure how exactly this was meant to translate to the planet because um, there is nothing as special as has been shown or as on the nose as has been shown on the other planets, like dense clouds of spores in episode one or this extreme cold and hot sides on in the in the second episode but yeah i think your point about the whole planet being covered in something kind of like a jungle would maybe make kind of sense because this seemed to be the case mm. so and mm. yeah the creatures we have is at the base i'll just start on the base of the food chain because at the base we have what they call a fungus and once again i'm going to get into why i find that problematic later on yeah. um then you have weird bunny moth type of creatures <laughs> yeah uh,
0: you know which... what i want know what what i call them yeah uh... ape insect rabbits that um <laughs> but I, moss is actually nice <laughs> yeah I, I actually
1: heard that in another review to be honest uh, uh, but okay. I think it's it's very fitting it's very fitting and uh, yeah
0: it's definitely fitting
1: yeah and they, so they um find their food on the fungus the fungus produces some kind of fluid they, Feast on, and uh, then you have really very primate like predators living among the trees hunting, yeah, the insect rabbit animals, animal type things, (laughs) yeah, Yeah, and
0: uh, yeah, it's or how I called them basically monkeys with extra rubber arms. Which is... Uh, you know, the
1: did you notice that these arms, while not being extended, looked like, yeah, bony arms? So they have this extra set of arms between their, yeah, what we in primates would call legs and arms, which uh, are kind of hidden all the time until they go to hunt. And when while they hunt, they can just raise their upper body and fire out these long rubber arms Uh, and what i found really strange was that if not extended they looked bony they looked like a structure with supported by bone surrounded by muscle and then all of a sudden they started to stretch out like in the incredibles like elastic elastic girl in the incredibles I just thought it, it it looked strange because if you would have a, some kind of a bony structure on the inside, a system consisting of bones on the inside muscles on the outside, this wouldn't be capable of stretching that much, but it's just an observation I made.
0: Mm. Oh, can I, uh, sorry, I'm going to interrupt here. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, You know, on my second screen, basically, I have the um, yeah the guide to the show from um um, oh, jeez, I'm so bad with names. Um, From Darren (laughs) Nash. Darren Nash. I'm cutting that out. (laughs) That's (laughs) not Darren Nash. And he calls these. ...rabbit moths, um, (laughs) actually, um, that they have these rapid lepidopterans. And lepidopterans are moths and uh, butterflies. So, yeah, they actually thought about this. This was their their thinking behind them,
1: yeah. Mm, So, yeah, I mean, it makes kind of sense because butterflies... Some moths they do use, uh, they do use plants, they do use flowers as their main food oh, source. Oh yeah,
0: right.
1: Yeah. Okay. Then that explains the similarities. Yeah, but makes sense. I, Yeah. Basically, what what they wanted to show here was how complex uh, how complex food chains can work because. Yeah, it it doesn't just end with this predator prey relationship because no. um, during summer the uh, moth bunny rabbits <laughs> they detach their sexual or- organs so their sexual organs are kind of worm-like structured, worm-like creatures on their own. Maybe you've seen when some kinds of cephalopods can detach one of their arms with their sexual organs on there and inseminate a female. Uh, It reminded me kind of of that and I heard that some worms can actually do something similar. So their their sexual organs, they detach they combine with one another and they form a cocoon where the new... Uh, I think they were called grazers?
0: Yeah, grazers, correctly.
1: Grazers, where the next generation can grow.
0: Yeah, and these uh, cocoons kind of lay down on the ground and then they have like these tentacles when how they move up the trees and then they hang yeah. just down the trees.
1: Yeah, and later in the summer then this this once again quote unquote fungus starts infecting the grazers and what it does is it does it does something which actually happens with some fungi on earth it changes the behavior of its host they lose their fear of the predators the predators can easier consume them and then they poison Well, the predators. The fungus poisons the predators and by that it achieves that uh, it has a food source for a new fungus to grow and on the other hand it helps with dispersing. And then during the winter the grazers they die off. The adult grazers die off, the predators they move off for the winter, and as soon as the summer or spring arrives, the new grazers hatch from their cocoons, and the cycle repeats.
0: Yeah, uh, that was actually and... a very complex cycle. And to be fair, I didn't really understand it at first. Um, yeah, but of and... course, the plan for the fungi was just to hatch new fungi but this just seems so weird complex (laughs) (laughs) like there's so many
1: steps yeah yeah and i think it's i don't know it it was so strange because you would you i mean in nature nothing is deterministic in that sense so it's not that oh an organism definitely has to develop away from a certain habit because it harms itself while doing that Uh, in the case of the grazers my Mm. usually you would think hey how would, would they still consume these fungi if in the end they are responsible for them dying off making them an easy meal yeah but then again so I, I still think it's it was weird because the grazers seem to have absolutely no defense against this but then again in nature it's about whether well something just works or not and they made the point that they reproduce before the fungus can infect them so rep- reproduction is a done deal before they fall victim to the predators and it was all about timing. I still think it was a pretty weird decision to have them basically defenseless because this via natural selection over time I would say you would expect something to occur for the individuals being most resistant against this infection would usually tend to survive over time and so over time some kind of defense would likely develop or at least some kind of avoidance for these fungi would develop or a preference for fungi being less infective it was just i don't know it was a weird decision and they made all these points and this is where i would like to shortly mention the comparisons they make they go about all these different, yeah, ecological relationships, but I don't think that really they, they fit too much in this case because, yeah, for one, they didn't use th- this certain fungus infecting ants on Earth because there is a fungus on Earth infecting ants, changing their behavior for them to climb the highest thing they can find, mm-hmm. From where then new spores can disperse, and I think there's one other form, uh, which infects ants and makes them search other search out other ants to infect them. And they didn't use this example, but instead instead went with showing mycorrhiza fungi, the fungi having a symbiosis with the roots of trees creating huge networks and this was where everything felt kind of shaky and this is why honestly i wouldn't go into too much detail about these examples because uh, i think they weren't really fitting here
0: yeah one i have one question for you because i didn't really understand that so they had this whole point about symbiosis and they showed the example of the humans um in africa um with these special birds. Where like the birds. Um, they let the birds search for honey. Mm. And then the humans will take the honey. And give the bird some of the honey. Mm. Um, so symbiosis. I, I thought this was a cool example. Because I didn't know of that. And I actually think. Oh. Humans living in symbiosis with other animals. Is always cool. But. Where exactly in this food chain. Is symbiosis. Because in the end everybody dies but the fungus so yeah yeah. i couldn't really see where the symbiosis part was
1: yeah that's that's also the thing that well they made this point about there is a complex symbiosis so a relationship everybody benefits from and yeah this is kind of the case at least for the grazers and the fungus but the predators...
0: Uh, the predators really... Like the fungi let them eat, but they're still killing Yeah, them. Uh, Yeah,
1: yeah. That, that's the point. It made the grazers an easy meal. And I mean, maybe you could have avoided this... Uh, you could have avoided this by maybe saying that the fungus only infect some of the predators that maybe they have a pretty active immune system against or no it it wasn't even an infection they poisoned them maybe that they have yeah maybe that some are resistant or most are pretty resistant to the poison or that not in all cases that i i don't know it's just me trying to make sense but yeah, in the end, the Predators, they just lose. They have an easy meal, but yeah, they pay for it with their lives. So what's the point of having an easy meal? Yeah. So yeah, it was this episode was really very shaky for me. And the comparisons, yeah. they
0: were pretty random, I think. I think we will get all in our end. Yeah, indeed
1: but that's just I just wanted to explain why we wouldn't go into too much detail here or explain or talk about all different comparisons
0: yeah uh, and then maybe last point uh, about the planet is that the planet has a strong seasonal effect so the planet is tilted like 40 degrees which is incredible an incredible large degree Mm -hmm. Um, so this would end up in a very strong seasonal effect. Which we see. Uh,
1: Huh? Which we see.
0: Which we see. I mean, yes, but but no. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? I mean, we did tell, they say that there are seasons and like the you know, the the life cycles based on the seasons but it doesn't seem like there are large seasonal effects.
1: Yeah. I mean, they showed it by telling us that... Or by indicating that it becomes dark for long
0: periods of time. Mm. Yeah, it was just chummed a bit, I thought. But yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Next episode?
1: Final episode.
0: Yeah. So... Nothing directly too much to say about the planet itself it's called terra and the planet is probably very very off like we have a very similar scenario to our system basically um, yeah just
1: just just want yeah. to throw that in here uh, the only note i have for the basic scenario is basically earth in 4.5 billion years so yeah <laughs>
0: Um, so the scenario is following the star is getting at the edge of his lifetime, which means that the radiation and the emitting of energy starts to grow, it gets um, higher. Um, this is interesting with stars because I think you would normally guess that the energy output will become less and less over time but it actually is getting more and more over time. And then at some point, the star will start to grow after I think near, it depends on the star, but in this case it's at 9 billion years. Um, And then once the star is growing, of course the habitable zone will start to shift. In the case of Earth, this would be well, or in our solar system, this would be the case that Earth will lose its ability to host um, fluid water. So at one point in, I think actually earlier than nine billion years because this more gradual change, but in like the next two, maybe three billion years in our scenario, this in our Earth scenario, this is what will end up in Earth not being able to um, possess any fluid water anymore. Up to the point of extreme where earth could be swallowed by the sun. And this is the scenario here. The once habitable planet is not habitable anymore because the sun's intensity is growing, so the things that live on the planet, which are in this case um, actually a highly advanced civilization, has to move to another planet. And this is the story of this episode.
1: Yeah. Uh, I think it was, on the grand scheme of things, way more philosophical than what the other episodes were. Because while the other three episodes were mostly about speculative evolution and astrobiology, general basics of evolutionary theory in some respects this one also was it was pretty much what could happen to humanity one day if we we managed to survive long enough and also yeah. it tackled a lot of questions like how should we yeah how should we go about living yeah. in space how should we go about our future in general and this and that and it was more philosophical than really speculative evolution i think and it was basically yeah f-
0: hmm? of, of course but i mean talking about an advanced civilization fits into the concept of the show because the, it's an interesting question how could an, another civilization live like you I mean it's an it's on science yeah. question about science and i don't really know how you would do it in a non-philosophical way because it's so much more difficult yeah. than
1: no of course but I the thing is I came for alien creature type things uh, and I don't know it was this was the episode I think with the least really biological in, input you know I think for a show Yeah. centered around biology this was It of course it, we are a biological species. We, this is going... In, in some sense, this is what biological beings could develop into. Because the aliens in this case weren't even physical beings anymore. Or they were, but only their brains. Because their brains exist in... Yeah, in tanks. And they are fed glucose, produced by plants. So they have photosynthesizing plants and then robots carry the glucose over to the brains. The brains are individuals but they are connected to one another and they basically act as one super organism. Um, And this could... I mean, if a life form manages to well stay alive for long enough this could be what biology could develop into in the future, but I don't know. For me, it was just it was any astron- astronomy documentary about humanity's future ever. No?
0: And, yeah. Yeah. I I, I mean, I, I get what you say, but I actually found it and an cool idea to have this in the episode, and this in the mm. show. So I actually was... Not hyped about it, but I thought that it wasn't cool idea. So I think we can discuss this in the in like the overall discussion. I think this fits really nicely into I think our main discussion point, and this is yeah. what this yeah. show is all about in the first case. Yeah,
1: but I don't know. I just really don't have too much to say here because it's they go about how they they. Gain energy, get their energy, and about the future of space travel. And
0: um, yeah, I mean I can go into detail here. Um, so the scenarios following their planet is inhabited anymore, and that's why they want to move to another planet. So they put um, send robots, robot, robot, what <laughs> robots, <laughs> robots, Jesus, to send robots into space to an ice planet that is um far away from the sun and these robots and or an um, ai in the end is then terraforming this new ice planet into another habitable planet and in the end they're moving all the way from their original host planet to this new planet that they terraformed now so they you know they go off the life cycle of the sun and then they have to all well, move to another planet this is like the whole scenario the the thing that i think is a bit confusing or was a bit confusing for me is that they live in these boxes why do they need a planet in the first place you know they could just stay in space yeah I
1: mean, Yeah, 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 indeed. (laughs) They terraform the new planet they're living on. Why the hell would they do that? For for what? (laughs) Yeah, but on the other hand, hand, that's a point we both always keep coming back to, especially when exploring the human past. Sometimes we just do things because we can, and sometimes we just do them because we find them nice. And I mean... Yeah, that's true just because they are very advanced, who maybe they still have a sense of beauty. I mean, we never get to, or of aesthetics, of maybe they just feel more at home.
0: That's a really, really good point.
1: Yeah. And it, that's the, that's really interesting, uh, because <laughs> this was exactly what I was thinking at first. <laughs> but yeah, yeah well, then again, point. yeah intelligent beings sometimes that, just do things
0: <laughs> yeah i often think that we kind of try to i don't want that to sound too negative but for me it seems that often when talking about the human history things are sometimes a bit over overthought because in the end nobody told us to build a large tower like bush al you know we just did it because we want to build a high tower like there is no there's no really larger reason behind it I mean I guess you could say that this is like an important part of humanity or the psychological you know psychology of humans and yes it's true but there's like no larger reason behind it. we don't try to do science with it or look at the stars or you know we just done it because why not
1: Yeah, Yeah, I mean, why do we place carpets on the floor? Why do we choose certain furniture? Because it makes us feel more at home. And I mean, often we tend to imagine future civilizations as these basically emotion-ridden beings, uh, just rationally thinking beings. And this was kind of the vibe I was getting here at first, at least. But then yeah. again, who knows? It's it's never explored, but this was one True. of the most interesting details, I think. This It was just intended as this throwaway line, yet, yet they terraformed the planet. But <laughs> I think it was way more interesting than they intended.
0: Yeah, definitely. And then before we can get to the end discussion... Uh, I guess two more things are interesting. So first of all, they explore the whole scenario. How would they get the energy? I mean, this is similar to the episodes before, but now on another scale, how does the civilization get the energy? And they talk about solar energy here on Earth. And in their case, they're also using the solar energy with a Dyson sphere, basically. So an orbital constellation around their sun which is getting the energy directly out of the sun. Um, Then, oh, they had two more points quickly. Then they talk about the dangers of space travel, I guess. So this star has a high energy flux and is like shooting out solar radiation, which destroys one of their ships, which I thought, well, I guess they could have you know, had some way to encounter that, I guess.
1: They are super advanced, but they can't predict any kind of solar flares or...
0: Yeah, I mean, predicting them is probably really difficult, but like Yeah,
1: I just just noticed. Exactly. uh, I just noticed it. But then again, super advanced civilization. (laughs) Who knows? They (laughs) could
0: maybe protect, you know, protect them against it or anything. Yeah. And then the last point is um, yeah, I think the most philosophical point here and this is like how should we message aliens in the first place and should we message like us as humans um, aliens in the first place and they talk about the Arecibo message which is a very famous message that we sent out of the Arecibo telescope and then they've gone into this whole point like this one I think physician physicist Phys- <laughs> every time <laughs> yeah physicist. yeah I uh, mm. bought this one physicist who wants to send messages to space base with the receiver message uh, a receiver mm. telescope and rest in pieces. <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I think this guy needs to search for a new plan. <laughs>
1: Just just to remind everyone who maybe doesn't know the Arecibo uh, telescope collapsed a few weeks uh, back in December, I think, or November. Yeah, unfortunately.
0: I think this discussion is always funny. I mean, they're they're also talking about it later, but just in a small sentence. Mm. We're discussing if we should message aliens, but I mean, we're doing it currently. We're sending out data all the time. So if you would like directly encode something into the data or just send out our radio data, in the end, it doesn't really change anything. There are no we're here in the first place at yeah. some point or maybe not because nobody's out there where we need to ask.
1: But yeah, yeah, and then again... It doesn't really matter. <laughs> and then again, space is super vast. Yeah, And I think the chances of something arriving anywhere where a civilization might be uh, while we are still alive because chances are we are going to go extinct at some point um yeah they're pretty 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 small i think
0: yeah i always have this thought in my mind which i think is nice i mean it isn't really practical but it's kind of a cool thought that like in some billion years, just some, or million years, just some random civilization gets our message, messages, and I just know well. They are dead since long ago, probably, but ours, you know, our messages will be still out there, yeah. traveling through space.
1: And that's I honestly, that's kind of a really. Kind of creepy feeling, but then again, on the other hand, I yeah. think a very, very intriguing thought of yeah, these radio beacons of our existence of our existence being out there for a long time after we we're gone, basically being out there for as long as the universe exists, extending out and. Potentially one day telling something that we were here.
0: Yeah, it's exactly like you said. It's kind of creepy. You kind of get a shivering out of it or like a weird feeling in your neck. But at the same time, it's so cool to think about. It's like a cool creepiness. Yeah. Yeah.
1: There is no need to immortalize ourselves because we've effectively already done so. I mean, these signals, they do grow fainter over time, don't they? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah.
0: Probably also redshift. So I don't know for how long you're able to encode them.
1: Yeah. But then again, immortality. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Let's Let's just pretend that we have immortalized ourselves to feel comfy or something.
0: Yeah, I think you get a point of the episode. (laughs) It's very philosophical. (laughs) Um, I think aliens is also definitely a topic that we will get back to at some point. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I hope so. Um,
1: I think we'll do so again and again.
0: Yeah. Okay. um, Let's open the floor for the main discussion. (laughs) One and a half hours in yeah uh, already looked at a clock like every minute
1: i mean we've already talked about certain points i would really what i would like to try now is uh really try to at first figure out who this this who this uh documentary was made for in the first place to maybe seek out the target audience and try to evaluate whether it can convey its message to its target audience and then maybe we can get into the more personal perspective maybe summing up our thoughts yeah
0: so did you read a text from nash
1: not yet because i tried to go into this with as few reviews as possible
0: i mean it's not a review because he worked on it yeah it was I part don't... of the writing process and he he kind of explained their thoughts why they did special you know certain things mm. and um there is one thing i want to add now in the discussion you know who the for who this you know this show was actually made mm. and So he talks about two rules for the concept. And rule number four is that you have to end up, I'm quoting here, rule number four is that you have to end up with a product that is entertaining to the public at large. Those Mm -hmm. of us interested in science, especially in deep, hard, heavy and complex stuff, might not like it. But that's a fact. If anyone is going to watch the series, they simply must be entertained. Otherwise... They will stop.
1: Yeah. Uh, so he summed it up perfectly. Thanks for listening, everyone.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great. Because this is, I think, pretty much how we feel about this. Yeah. As well. So it it's nice that, yeah, it shows that it worked out pretty much as it was intended. Yeah, I guess at least from the perspective of the both of, both of us. Uh, I mean, it's pretty simple biology, so you could really go into this without truly, I think, any real kind of proper proper knowledge about evolution and biology, maybe some very basic stuff. You should know what genders are. <laughs>
0: yeah. You have to be uh, interested in that Yeah, kind of stuff, yeah. But- yeah, you um, don't need any knowledge. Yeah,
1: yeah. and uh, I think this is also why they decided to go with a very basic terminology. So they strew, they strew in the one or other term like mimicry, mimicking another organism, meaning that uh, they strew some terms in, but for the most part everything was pretty basic and everything was explained very very thoroughly and i think honestly sometimes a bit too much to the degree that i thought the episode feels a bit dragging right now maybe even to someone who doesn't know these things because once you've heard about this it's enough we can move on and this is also yeah kind of related to the point that they spend from my personal perspective too much time on earth
0: yeah so we get the shot or like the, the the visuals from the planet and like for one minute and then you will be like 10 minutes on earth looking at an example and then moving back to the planet for like one other minute and moving back to earth for 10 minutes so you will end up Actually not a much time on the planet and you don't see these um, these animals. You know, I-, I want to see more of these animals. And mm. this is my like my-, my main point, my main problem. They have this very cool concepts like oh we have a high gravity system and red dwarf system and binary solar system. So cool. And then they have these cool animals and I want to see these animals how they live. How they you know, just how would they interact with their, with their nature? I want to see more of that. But you kind of end up seeing them not very often. <laughs> yeah. Uh, f- I think,
1: for me at least, the trailers just made me expect something this documentary really wasn't. Because I, res- I expected something like uh, alien, alien Planet this documentary, where they actually set up a whole planet. they simu- the, the scenario was that two space probes uh, would land there and just explore the planet. And you would just, through their exploration of the planet, follow them and explore the ecosystems of, I think the planet was called Darwin 4. Something Maybe, like yeah, that. Yeah, I
0: think so. Yeah. Uh,
1: and I don't know, it was... I would really have to watch the trailer again because I really had the impression that this was something like that and I was really, really hyped and in the end I was just really disappointed because then I wrote down the times. For the most part, you spent about one and a half minutes to three minutes, three and a half minutes, something like that, on the alien world with sometimes really, really again and again repeating sequences shots you've or scenes you have seen a couple of times before uh, and then you would spend just 10 minutes on earth uh, five to ten minutes and this yeah it didn't really work for me i mean cgi is expensive but it's just unfortunate that from the trailer i really got something very different i expected something very different
0: yeah, you can expect it kind of walking with dinosaurs, but with aliens, walking with aliens. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, the idea to compare it with Earth, I think it's a good idea because in the end, at least life would be in some way similar to Earth because we encounter the same problems, you know, the same things we have to overcome. Um, so I think the idea with comparing it to Earth isn't good idea because you can catch people with that because you have this this key to reality, to something we know. But just less. Less Earth and, and more aliens would would have done it for me. Yeah,
1: and the problem also was that the comparisons sometimes and we already got into that earlier, um, but the comparisons sometimes they are yeah not really fitting
0: they seemed forced yeah like Like, oh we need a comparison now what what can we put in yeah and i i I had this weird
1: feeling that the longer the series went on from episode to episode, episode these examples would become more yeah disjointed more random and yeah as you said forced Um, I mean one thing was what I already talked about this example of well just not using fungi which actually infect and manipulate their host on earth but instead going with completely different unrelated examples and even examples not really fitting to that or when they can from the first episode the predators Uh, Rushing down onto the sky grazers. Um, they They compared these creatures to falcons. And they made a point that falcons... They dive down onto their prey, grasping them with their claws. And then when they showed the predators hunt, actually, they... First of all, they hunted in groups and not as single animals, but hey, fine so far. But then, they didn't really seem to use their impact or anything, or their downward momentum. They just seemed to break, to slow down, just shy of the Skygrazer. Then they just held on to the Skygrazers with their claws and slowly just put their proboscis through these creatures' skin and tried to slow it down with the air sacs, they reinflated their air sacs and tried to slow the sky grazer down and force it to the ground and this it's just yeah i get the point they gain height and they seek for prey from up there and they then dive down onto them but it, these are in detail two very different mechanisms or yeah, yeah the, the, I mean, in this case maybe it's a bit nitpicky I see that because they went f- they they wanted the viewer to understand the very basics behind that and the basics maybe in this case was they search prey from above and then they dive down yeah. onto their prey maybe but, as soon as you go into detail problems arise and especially in the third episode these examples they were pretty much random you're talking about a planet with an overabundance of energy and all of a sudden you're talking about hummingbirds on earth and yeah they made this point maybe about nectar plants and animals interacting but i think they really didn't translate that onto the screen too much. Often I had this feeling that what they were trying to convey that that I didn't really get what they were trying to convey until really thinking about it. Until making connections myself.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I get it. I understand that. Um. Yeah, I, I actually think I don't add anything here because that Just how I feel, too. Um, At some certain points, uh, I think we've already seen that. I thought a bit different about it, maybe. But I guess let's not go into detail because of time here. Just in general, I um, have the same thoughts about it. Then maybe at some (laughs) certain points, I thought that these uh, comparisons are fine, I guess. But for most of the parts, I'm agreeing with you here. Yeah. Um then maybe i think we can cut it down very shortly you already you also um kind of talked about it before using words like fungus and animals mm. might be easy but it's not an universal thing these are like animals here or like living things here on earth are called and we probably would not call anything fungi on another mm. planet, right? Yeah. These are because... like... Yeah. Mm? <laughs> yeah, you can you can speak. <laughs> Sorry.
1: I think this is going to be an episode. I don't really know how much speaking time I've got, but uh, I just feel bad because I've been talking so much. Um, uh, I, I have the feeling that I didn't really let you talk for... Ah, i mean i talked about the plans
0: right Uh, and i talked about in the end with with the uh, the last episode
1: yeah yeah but that's the final thing i would also have mentioned in terms of really critical stuff um of course using these terms um i mean i get it because it's always easier to to just say it's an animal, it's some kind of plant, it's some kind of fungi. In the series, they use them as descriptive terms. But strictly speaking, these are not descriptive terms. These are systematic terms. And the way these terms work in biology is if you are a fungus, no matter how well evolved you are, no matter how maybe weird you have become over time, you do always remain a fungus. For one example I always go back with is fish. We, the land vertebrates, have developed from, from fish. So, technically speaking, we are all fish because just because you change a lot via evolution you don't really you never evolve out of a group you are still part of that group and this and this that is, is what, not
0: becoming a bird just because it can fly <laughs> you know
1: exactly exactly these are not descriptive terms if you are an animal it implies that you belong to the kingdom of animalia so meaning that all animals have a common ancestor You couldn't just call an alien an animal because uh, it looks like an animal on Earth because that would imply that it's related to the animals on Earth you would have. That's why I've been trying to use terms like animal-like creatures because they resemble these on Earth but they are not. And okay, one final thing, one final critical thing. Uh, Fungi, plants, uh, really... This series focused a lot of, a lot on animal type creatures, uh,
0: yeah.
1: So um, they used them mostly. They used these terms for animal type creatures, but yeah, fungus, plants. But honestly, that's pretty Correct. much it. Uh, fine for uh, what it wanted to achieve. Uh, problem for me was in the detail
0: yeah um so for my conclusion would be when i saw the first episode i was kind of sad because what it was not what i've expected and i also actually was kind of (laughs) bored watching it then with the second episode i did understood their concept and i just tried to go with the concept and at that point i kind of start liking it for what it was like it is an episode I like can TV show to get everyone on board make let them be interested in evolution let them be interested in science and space exploration and at that point I kind of liked it because it showed so many different things in one episode um, so many different concepts in one episode they talked about how to find exoplanets and then they talked about biology again and for that I liked it because you know it just showed so many cool things um, so I actually enjoyed the last three episodes. You can say I enjoyed them. It's okay. I enjoyed them and I thought they were good for what they were. But I personally, you know, like the concept for maybe in future other serious TV show, but be going with the same concept. Having, I mean, Neish talks about the, the way how they did the show. And this was basically someone made on planet and then they just gave them the planet and said well let's build animals and fill this planet with life and i think this is a cool concept for a next tv show maybe even every um um uh wait what is it called uh tv shows or series are made in different seasons seasons right correct um (laughs) Like one season, one planet. And then just show the life of the planet in detail. Yeah. Show how they live, show how they, you know, how they just interact with nature around them. Yeah, and then we, in the next season, go to the next planet.
1: Yeah, maybe that would be a way to kind of unify the general viewer who just just chimes in because he's heard of the series or he was just intrigued by the title, by the trailer. Um, and the ones who really want to go into a bit more detail. And I think this would yeah. be a, co- a good way to kind of try and attempt or to satisfy both kinds of viewers, maybe.
0: Yeah, but I guess, yeah, it's a question of money. Yeah, yeah, and exactly. It, CGI is really expensive.
1: Yeah, and then and probably, it, and it,
0: you know, and it, <laughs> doing this is prob- sorry, doing this is probably kind of risky because you're doing a whole season on one planet and if the show you know doesn't work financially then yeah
1: i mean it's netflix i would say they have a good budget and i want to i want to point out this was pretty good cgi so this wasn't yeah i think that was why it was cut so short because it certainly was expensive um definitely yes and that's also a question of personal taste, I think. But I would honestly even willingly sacrifice some of that CGI quality for
0: more content. Yeah, what I thought was it was a bit too much CGI. You know, you have Earth. I mean, sure, we have different plants and stuff on Earth, but then you use just rocks and mm. try to build a CGI around on real footage. Um, in that case, you would end up with much less. I mean, I'm not an expert on that, but I think less CGI could have actually helped maybe the looks and maybe, but it looked good, but maybe it could yep. have even made it more better and it could end up using less money. But I don't know.
1: So that's the two students giving advice to million-dollar companies and... <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah, next
0: but... call us. <laughs> <laughs> no, but we have a concept.
1: But once again, I don't want this to sound too arrogant. This is really just us having some thoughts on this. Uh, once again, I think for what it tried to do, it was really good. Um, for me, it was the reason I had my problems with it mainly was because I was expecting something else um and to a certain degree maybe that's on me myself so yeah Yeah. i don't know it's i mean i mean i'm the biology nerd so i am more in the category of people who always wish for something more and "Ah, they could have put this in and that in but i know that it just doesn't work that way and that you need to pay attention to everyone and keep everyone involved mostly meaning the general audience and for that you need yeah as stated before entertainment
0: yeah that's just like our point of view looking at the series um and it's yeah for that matter just you know our opinion from our point of view and as we said different people would probably react differently to that show there was also a lot of good um I saw like it was mixed, some people have like as the and problems that we had, but there were many people that really liked it, so yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. Especially the more casual viewers like for example my stepdad, he's very much interested in natural sciences, more astronomy and such, but I think he really enjoyed it. And he's not too much into biology. He learned something new and yeah, he really liked it, so that's the first person I really heard from uh, who watched it, who's close to me.
0: Huh. Cool.
1: Or not the first person. I Not in terms of the first person telling me he likes it, but he was the first one I got a mini review from.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I think this concludes our main part. Yeah, I would say so. Okay. Then (laughs) it was also already long planned. Yeah, We'll see uh, what I can get. uh, Um, Yes, every time. Yes, every time. So thanks for listening. If you stayed for such a long time. Um, We will hear each other in the next podcast in two weeks. Which oh. would be if everything stays as planned um, about Mount St. Helens, correct?
1: Exactly. So right. we decided to do this episode after we reviewed Dante's Peak in the, at the end of last year. And at first, we thought about maybe making this episode five to get it closer to the Dante's Peak review. But yeah, we really wanted to uh offer our thoughts on alien worlds because it was uh it's a recent new topic and a recent a new documentary so we wanted to get this one in at first
0: yeah so i'm really looking forward to the next episode um it's a very i really like the topic it's one of my favorite um volcanic topics (laughs) this eruption so thanks for listening and see you next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the rocket terrain podcast. If you enjoyed listening to us, please consider subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. Everything addressed this podcast reflects our own opinion. You can contact us at 4.5 G a in the making at gmail.com. That is 4.5 G a. In the making at gmail.com. All music used is from Kevin McLeod and was downloaded from io under the Creative Common License. That is heavy interlude for intro and outro and home base groove for intermission. Oh, yeah, einfach aufhören.
1: Nee, gar nicht sagen, einfach aufhören. Yeah, and yeah. I think that's. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to that. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>